Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening today, and welcome to episode 28. And just a warning before we get started, if you have young ears listening, this is an episode you may or may not want young ears to listen to. It's true. So we uh, just wanted to set that up before jumping in to our topic today. You may want to listen to it first. So, Tim, do you want to just tell us where we are? We're in Genesis, and we've been moving from three to six. Yeah, yeah, we're jumping over a good amount of space here from chapter three to chapter six, but we're trying to, you know, not get into the weeds, and we're going to discuss the story of Noah, uh, which, you know, if you're like us and you grew up in church, you're probably remembering felt board and you know, a picture of a boat and a rainbow and, you know, it's just kind of... Animals two by two. Yeah. It's a it's a very sanitized version of the story. But if you actually get into the story, there's a lot going on there. This story, the ramifications of what happens in Genesis 6, actually, it's kind of like throwing a really big stone in a pond. And there's ripples that just keep going and going and going. And so what happens here is going to actually show up later on in the story of the Bible. And it's actually going to feature uh, in Jesus' ministry as well. You know, this is not an isolated story. Uh, It's at the beginning of human history, per se. It does have far-reaching implications, and it does have an impact on what Jesus has come to do. But it is a little bit weird. (laughs) It is kind of weird. It's weird to think about. So, yeah, that's our warning. (laughs) Yeah, so I think what we're going to do, uh, we're going to do like the read a couple verses and then comment today. Sometimes we read a large passage and then just make some points, but today we're going to read through Genesis 6, 1 through 12. Okay. So you want to go ahead and read some of that? Yeah, sure. So we're starting in verse 1 of Genesis 6. When the human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Yeah, so there is some controversy about how to interpret this passage, and it basically focuses on who are the sons of God. And one interpretive approach is to say that the sons of God are the line of Seth that comes from Adam and Eve. And then the daughters of men would then be the daughters that come from the line of Cain. And so the assumption here is that Cain had a particular uh, lineage and clan that was in opposition to the lineage and clan of Seth, and that they kind of lived their separate lives in different tribes. And then all of a sudden they started intermarrying together. And once they started intermarrying, then things went badly. So that's one interpretive approach, but I tend to think, and this is the interpretive approach that, you know, we take is that sons of God is not referring to human beings, 
but it's actually referring to divine beings. In other words, it's a spiritual being from heaven, from the heavenlies, whether it's members of God's divine council or some other spiritual being that comes down and has sexual relations with women. And then we see what happens with the rest of the narrative. But that's, that's the approach we're taking. We're going to put some links in our podcast notes that goes deeper into that because that is a rabbit hole and we could potentially spend a whole episode talking about that. <laughs> but we're just going to kind of assume that ground and move forward with it. And if you want to investigate more of that, there'll be a link in the podcast notes. Yeah, this, this is kind of weird. How does that work? Like a spiritual being having <laughs> sexual relations with physical women. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. There's basically two stories that kind of give us a point of reference for what this could look like. The first one is in Genesis where it says that uh, some angels come and visit Abraham. And apparently when the angels came to visit him, they were in a bodily form. And so the impression you get from reading the Genesis narrative especially that one with Abraham, is that angels, angelic beings, can take on a bodily form, which that assumes that they may have, you know, male anatomy with that bodily form. That's kind of like the Lot story as well, isn't it? Yes, it's very much like that. So, you know, in the story of Lot, an angel comes, I think it's two angels, or maybe it's just one. I think it's two. Two angels come and hang out with Lot in his house, and then a bunch of people find out that there's an angel in the city. And they come, and they actually want to have sexual relations with the angel. You know, some people think that basically what they're doing is they're trying to recapitulate or reenact this story in Genesis 6, that they would like to have sexual relations with angelic beings, or as Second Peter would call it, strange flesh. And, and that's so, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Before, that's in Sodom and yeah. Gomorrah, mm-hmm. right. So there is a precedent for spiritual beings having bodily form and for there being some sort of sexual anatomy with that. And apparently that's what happened here in Genesis 6. Is And we'll, we'll get into kind of like why they may have wanted to do that. Um, immediately here it says, hey, they saw that they were attractive. I think there's more going on than just they were turned on by the human uh, women. There's actually an agenda. There's something they're trying to accomplish. Mm, Yeah, that's good to remember and be aware of as we're talking about this. Are we ready to move on? Yep, let's do three and four. Okay. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal their days will be a hundred and twenty years the nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of god went to the daughters of humans and had children by them they were the heroes of old men of renown okay so this kind of gets into what is the byproduct of the sons of god the angelic beings coming down and having relations with women is that they produced a seed that was called the Nephilim. And those Nephilim were giants and they were men of renown. One way to talk about it is a hybrid seed. In other words, it's half human and half angelic. The Nephilim were. And they actually show up in Genesis 14 in the story of Abraham. 
And then they also show up later in the story of Israel going into the promised land. And they go, you know, they send out the 12 spies and they come back and they're like, hey, there's giants in the land. Well, those are the Nephilim. And then it, of course, shows up in the story of David with David and Goliath, that Goliath is actually a descendant of the Nephilim. What most people don't know, unless you get into intertestamental literature, is that eventually these these Nephilim have flesh like humans. So when they die, their spirits are disembodied, just like human spirits are disembodied. But in the intertestamental literature, the literature between uh, the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, their proposal is that demons or evil spirits are actually the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. You know, if you, if you subscribe to that, and I, and I tend to subscribe to that, whenever Jesus casts out a demon, or whenever he does an exorcism, or he drives out an evil spirit, really what you have is Genesis 6 is actually showing up in the ministry of Jesus. And there's, there's a lot more to explore with that, but I did want to anchor that in the story of Jesus to say this is not just some isolated story that we can move on and forget about what happens here, that what's happening here is going to have long-ranging effects in the story of the Bible. It even shows up in the book of Second Peter. Uh, Second Peter think it's worthy of mentioning what happens here in Genesis 6 as an illustration of how God deals with evil. There's a, a lot more we could say about this, but... Yeah, definitely. You know, some of you are probably thinking, wait a second, you can't just open up that can of worms and just move on. But uh, we can't really talk about it in 10 more minutes. So. That's right, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's keep going, verses 5 through 8. Okay, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so... I think it's important here to kind of, there's a narrative sequence here. In other words, the writer is intending to tell a story in a certain order. And the order that he's chosen here is that you have angelic beings who have sexual relations with women. They produce a hybrid seed called the Nephilim. And those are giants. And they are men of renown. That's another way of saying that they're warrior kings. In other words, they become cultural icons. They become very influential leaders in human civilization. Hence, like, them having an agenda for doing this. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And the agenda, I think, shows up here in verses 5 through 8. Uh, you know, what, what exactly are they trying to accomplish by doing that? Well, I think one of the things here is that they essentially get to have some middle managers. Spiritual beings, apparently... They have limitations on what they can do in the physical world. They have uh, some limitations with that. But if they can get inside a body, if they can have human agency, then they can accomplish a lot more. 
And so by creating a hybrid seed, what they did is they created a, a very effective way of influencing humanity. And what was the impact or outcome they were looking for? Well, the Genesis writer says, okay, after all this happened, the world began to be filled with violence. Basically, humanity started to destroy itself. You know, this is, we're, we're going to get to this after we read the next few verses, but this grieved God's heart that human, humanity had turned inward on itself and started to destroy itself. And this is the, the direct consequence of the Nephilim being born into the human population is that the net result is that humanity started to turn inward on itself and uh, destroy itself. And the, the language that he'll use in these next few verses is kind of interesting. So let's read 9 through 12. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Okay, so the word corrupt shows up several times here, and this term also shows up in the New Testament as a term to describe human nature. Again, I want to make sure we anchor this in Jesus, is that not only was there a corruption of human nature through the birthing of the Nephilim, because you're, you've created this different kind of human being that's not fully human. But there's also a corruption of human nature among humans themselves through the violence. And so I think the clear agenda that we're seeing here is that the enemy wants to intervene in human affairs so that we will either corrupt ourselves or they can actually facilitate a corruption of human nature themselves. So there's sort of like a direct and an indirect strategy that's at work here um, in this story. You know, one of the things I want to point out here about why Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, that there's definitely something about him walking with God, which mean, meant he was in alignment with God. He was a righteous person. But it also says that uh, Noah's, Noah was flawless in his generations, in the context of the story, essentially what that means is that the physical seed of Noah had not been compromised through the angelic seed. You know, if God's going to preserve humanity as he originally intended for humanity to be, he's not going to bring people on the ark who are Nephilim. He wants to preserve human beings as he intended for them to be. And that's part of the reason why God chose Noah, is that his generations had not been flawed by the mixing of angelic seed and human seed. So I think it's important to name that because there are some things in our day and time related to transhumanism, related to you know gene editing and all these kind of things you know that, that Jesus is very concerned about because he's concerned about preserving human nature the way God intended for it to be. I think one thing we want to do right now, though, before we you know, kind of end the episode, is maybe compare a little bit the intervention, or you could say an incursion, of Genesis 3 
with the incursion that's taking place in Genesis 6 and maybe do some comparisons and then also contrast, like how are they similar and how are they different? And remind us again of what's in Genesis 3. Okay, yeah. So Genesis 3 is when the Nakash, the the serpent, shows up and basically disrupts and gets Adam and Eve to put something in their body that they were not ready to receive, and they end up corrupting themselves. And you see some a, a somewhat of a similar strategy here in Genesis 6. You know, what, what's kind of interesting is that you know, the enemy's not satisfied with the damage that he's done in Genesis 3. Like, it's not enough that death is introduced. It's not enough that Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. The the enemy has, like, far-reaching plans for us. And in Genesis 6, it's almost like, if, if you do the biblical chronology, if you just go by the genealogies, it's about 1,500 years after Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. And so apparently the enemy looks down and says, okay, this thing's taking too long. Like <laughs> this isn't going as badly as we want it to go. Mm. And so we need to have an intervention here. In Genesis 3, they use deception to get Adam and Eve to do it to themselves. But Genesis 6 is a more aggressive and a more direct way of influencing. They don't get them to do it to themselves, they themselves come and insert their seed into human nature and they produce another kind of seed. And so it's, it's definitely a more advanced strategy. There's, there, there's a lot of you know, speculation about how it advanced evil and how all of that violence ended up coming into the world. There's actually stories very similar to this in other cultures about heavenly beings coming down and having sexual relations with women. But the way they tell it in their cultures is that it was a good thing and that the gods ended up sharing their knowledge and wisdom with human beings and then society began to flourish. But then there was some kind of spat between the hybrid beings and the gods and the gods got angry that the hybrid beings wouldn't do what they wanted them to do, and then they sent a flood and destroyed everything. But what's different about the biblical narrative is that they say, no, when these angelic beings came down and produced this hybrid seed, it's very likely that they did share knowledge and wisdom that accelerated the corruption in human nature. And the biblical narrative is saying, no, this was a really bad thing. This is actually what led to a proliferation of violence and murder and corruption. And notice in here also it says it, it's not just man that was corrupted. It was beasts that were corrupted as well. Um, it says all flesh has been corrupted. There is some sort of hinting here that they could have devolved into bestiality. They could have devolved into mixing sexual relations between humans and animals. And there was this kind of like... A, uh, an innovation on sexual interaction and trying to produce other hybrid forms of human nature. Th- there is an agenda here. There, there is a, a very advanced agenda by the enemy. You know, this gets brought up in the New Testament in Second uh, Peter 2. Yeah. You know what verse has been coming to my mind throughout this whole conversation is the verse that talks about the thief coming to still kill and destroy. 
and just how that's his plan all along, even from the beginning here, we that, that we see him coming to do those things, to steal and kill and destroy. Tim, is that the verse you were thinking of? Or? That's a great verse because, you know, it, it does c- kind of put in clear language what the agenda of the enemy is. And, you know, in Genesis 3, it's, uh, hey, do this, and but but if you do it, you'll make progress. Like, you'll reach your goal. But they're carving out a different path to get to the goal that you think that you want. And the same thing is going on in Genesis 6. They're trying to get humanity to reach a certain goal, but really it's counterproductive to what it is that God wants for us. In the Gospel of John, uh, John is very strategic about presenting Jesus as the human, the human being that God always intended for us to become. And it's just really interesting in John 10 where he says, hey, when the thief does come, they may look like they're rescuing you from that mean old shepherd who won't let you go to certain fields and they want to pin you up at night. And But they're actually coming to steal, destroy, and kill. Sometimes you don't really discover the agenda of the enemy until you enter into it. And that's when, you know, the story of Jesus becomes really important because the story of Jesus is that he will actually meet us in that corruption, that he will come all the way into our mess, into the hole that we have dug for ourselves, and he will meet us in the damage and the dysfunction and the deficit. He will enter into the evil condition just so that he could pull us out of it. And he he really wants us to arrive at the place that God wants us to arrive at. But there's a certain path and a certain process that it takes to arrive there. And it's, it's not by chance that Jesus brings this up in the context of him being the good shepherd, because shepherds have to lead the sheep. And it's a slower process. And sometimes it may not be enjoyable. He's saying, if, if, you're, if you're willing to follow me as the shepherd, I'm going to take you into life, real life. But there is another path out there. And, you know, if, if, if we're going to kind of anchor this, I guess, back in the Genesis 6 story, I, I do think it's important to draw the analogy between, or the, the comparison between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6. In both of these agendas, the enemy is trying to insert something into the human body that is either not supposed to be there at that time or is not supposed to be there, period. In other words, he's wanting to cross that boundary into our human nature and insert something in there that's not supposed to be there. And it's because he knows if he can cross that boundary and get us to cooperate with putting that into our body, then it's going to do damage. And, you know, I think there is something uh, for us to pay attention to there about what we're putting into our bodies even as even the most practical, you could get into food and diet, right? But I think when you start talking about a higher level, the enemy does want us to put things into our body that, you know, may even be under the premise of if you put this in there, it'll help you make progress. It'll help you reach a goal. You can transcend your limitations if you put this thing 
in your body. That's that that is a part of his strategy. That's that's a part of his agenda. And you know, as followers of Jesus, we do have to be discerning about what we're going to put in our bodies. Yeah, that's a good word, Tim. And I think there are many things that fit into that category that we could talk about. But the truth is that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. Mm. And the enemy wants to keep that from happening. That's right. So. Yeah. So, I, you know, if, 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 if we were to, you never want to present a problem without presenting a solution, right? So um, if we were to present the solution, you know, Jesus offers us something to put into our bodies, right? He says, I'll give you my spirit and my spirit will be in your body. But that spirit is going to produce life and eventually it's going to raise us from the dead. So there, there is something to put in our bodies, uh, but it's, it's not from the enemy. It's from God himself. He shares himself with us through his Holy Spirit. And there's absolutely nothing more life-giving than God himself That's right. living in us. So I think this is a probably a good place to wrap it up. Are yes. you finished, Tim? I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could keep going, but no, we're supposed oh, to man. cut it off. <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's a big subject to talk about, but it's really important to the timeline and to just talking about the enemy strategy and then the things that God is choosing to do and why. Yeah, but we will continue talking about Noah on the next episode. If you want to continue listening in on this conversation, please go and subscribe on your platform of choice. In light of our conversation today, I feel like this is a great moment to turn to God and ask him a question and just take a moment to listen. Maybe a question along these lines. God, is there anything that I'm taking in that will lead me away from your path of life for me? So we will wrap it up here. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next time.